In the market for investment-worthy bags, watches, and fine jewelry, Rebag is the answer. Rebag is a luxury resale platform where each piece is carefully inspected by experts to ensure quality and authenticity. Use Rebag to buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Louis Vuitton, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com to get 5% off your first purchase with code REBAGNEW. Shop today at Rebag.com. That's R-E-B-A-G.com. And use promo code REBAGNEW for 5% off your first purchase. Welcome back to Not Another True Crime Podcast. Happy 2022. To, I mean, it's not that happy, but we're here. <laughs> that's, that's, we're all here, but Sarah's not. Girl girl decided to get on a flight and enjoy her best life. I'm very jealous of her because her trip looks very fun and it's very cold and sad in the tri-state area. But I'm not, I'm not here by myself because that would just make me too depressed. We have lovely Jorge kicking us off in the beginning with us. Hi, Jorge. Hey, how's it going, Danny? Oh, uh, you know, <laughs> it's going. <laughs> It's going. It's the thing we're like, you, you know, yeah, <laughs> we're here. It's the same meh answer that we were all giving at the start of 2020. Like, here we are again. It's, it's a meh. I mean, yeah, I know. I do love reality TV, but I watched Don't Look Up over break, and I was like, this is just reality oh, TV. Oh, I haven't this seen is, that. It's good? It's good. I liked it. A lot of people had a lot of mixed on it. I didn't mind it. I thought it was like... I guess topical in the fun way. It's when, about like, sort right. of social media, that type of thing, or it's about like the world ending. <laughs> that vibe. It's about oh, that there's vibe. a big old asteroid hitting us, and that's honestly oh, don't look up because we... there's an asteroid coming for us. That's yes, okay, yes, I, yes, it yes, all makes yeah. sense. It all makes sense. That would be really funny if that was just don't look up from your phone and just. I mean, honestly. <laughs> there's nothing else to do, so just stay on your phone. Anybody who's trying to do that as a New Year's resolution, it's not the year for that. No. Now that you're describing it, do you, there was this movie years ago. I think it was called Second Earth. Do you know what I'm talking about? Ooh, never. It was. It might that might not be the title, but it was like a end of world type of thing in which suddenly one day, like an Earth appeared right in front of our Earth, and it was like a second, literally a second Earth. Oh. Everyone was the same on that Earth. Like your doppelganger. Like your. Per- there was like- a doppelganger oh. of you. On that second Earth, and it was kind of like society collapsed when that happened. <laughs> fun, 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 fun. That makes sense. Okay. Ooh, I'm into that. I know, but it's the thing. Like, if there ever was like a moment when we all had to go to like a different planet, I think I would just stay here. I don't have the fight. <laughs> I don't have the instinct in me to make it through an apocalypse or a rebuild. Like, I watched Summer Station Eleven, and I was like, this. Please, I yeah. can't. Not not no. I don't I make me. Drive. No, I can't. I, I really can't. I would offer nothing to the table. Also, I would. I'm. I'm useless. I'm. I'm literal dead weight for that. <laughs> well, you can make people laugh, Danny, and that's oh, a very that. very important skill. No, that's so. what I heard people miss when they're trying to find out like how to get food and water. I'm like, so guys, <laughs> balls, right? And then they're just okay, like, oh, we can. So eat. a sandwich and a drink of water. Walk into a bar. <laughs> And then they just go full yellow jackets and dismember my body and eat me. Uh, not a spoiler, because that's just a hypothesis of that happening. All right. But this case, I'm very interested in because I'm very interested in the place it took place. Yeah, me too. I have not, have you, because it's about, it's a Soho House murder. Have you ever been yes. to Soho House? I have been to Soho House, actually. I have not. How? Okay. I had a meeting there some years ago with someone who was launching a podcast. And he was a member, so he invited okay. me over and I was like, oh my God. It looks so nice on the outside. It's it's a really cool place. To be honest, I mean, I didn't go to the pool area, which is what everyone always talks about. I only went to the like second floor restaurant. Mm-hmm. It was cool. I wouldn't say it was life-changing in any way, you okay. know? 
It's not worth thousands of dollars. It was kind of like just any random kind of restaurant area in any hotel in New York City. Well, that's the funny thing about it. Well, A, I feel like every meeting at Soho House is someone saying, I have an idea for a podcast. And then (laughs) I'm just like, "Eh, here's a $25 glass of wine. But that's the funny thing. They're all in these, like, the city... Like, all of their locations are in cities, and I'm like, just go to a nice restaurant. And I think you have the the vibe of it. Yeah. But for anybody who does not know about because I've, I've always looked to try to buy, it's just too expensive, and you have to know people. And I'm like, and I'm not going to get my money's worth from that, and I also right. cannot afford it. But um, the, the little rundown of what the Soho House is for anybody who is not super familiar, watch the Sex and City episode where Samantha gets kicked out of it. Besides that, it is this private members club that originally, so it makes sense that Jorge had a podcast meeting there. It was for yeah. artists and <laughs> people who, like, Wanted to just feel expression. I'm like, the antithesis, though, of being an artist in the city. You're going to Soho? No, you're not going to. Why are people going there and not just (laughs) being an artist? Regardless. So you go in. You have to apply. You have to, like, have references. It's sort of like a job interview, but you end up giving them money, not making money from them. But then you get to go in. And it was kind of, like, designed for people to, like, mingle and network and sort of, like, you know build out your artistic creative hub and like kind of in the Janice Ian book, soak up each other's awesomeness because everybody there was just like, oh, I paint. Oh, oh, I run a gallery. Okay, we can make. So there were some connections like that that did make it kind of like worth a while, but a lot of people just there to kind of be seen and everything like that. And that's definitely what I feel it grew into. It sort of was like the place where you're like, oh, I'm at Soho House or it's like, oh, I saw XYZ at Soho House because I don't think they allow like photos to be taken and anything like that. So it's a big a-list moment, like, like check your fun at the door, and also like a party spot, like people like to go have fun and everything like that. So it is a cool, I mean, it's definitely, I mean, if anyone listening has a membership, I would love to go. I mean, <laughs> once, oh, yeah, once, but it's over. DM us. Yeah. I know, I'm like, we'll this go. fucking place, I'm like, hi. <laughs> would love to have a $90 glass of wine with you. Yeah, I think part of the allure of that is definitely the exclusivity of it, yes. right? The fact that only you and if you know someone you can get in like a social club you know you're there to see like you were saying to to be seen and see people there's a couple of versions of that type of club all around new york like i have a friend who's part of the players club have you heard of this oh yes this is a it's a beautiful place it's right off gramercy park um so a very expensive neighborhood to begin with but this club was founded funnily enough by john wilkes booth's brother (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> who was a very famous actor at the time as well. Probably even okay. more famous than John Wilkes Booth. Uh, and he just kind of bought this whole house in in Gramercy and just had his buddies over and it ended up being sort of a social club for actors specifically. I think that was featured in the the uh, Fran Lebowitz Netflix show, right? Yes, exactly. She, yes, they, was, filmed, yes. they filmed a bunch of those interviews at the Players Club. That Which is I feel correct. is definitely the vibe of that, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's funny, that type of place that has exclusivity, the types of things that go yeah. on there. I'm sure many other things have happened in those places. They kind of exist sort of outside the public, but they're kind of like public places. It's this weird hybrid. hundred percent. Yeah, it's like un- the uncoveredness of it. Because I feel people go there because and they feel so elite because obviously like they are members of this elite thing. And it's almost like I think they kind of are under the assumption that they have no rules and they can kind of right. like run it and get away with a lot of stuff. Unfortunately, half of that happened in this case. They did end up getting caught, but it is it was crazy. Yeah, so... 
The person was a woman called Sylvie Cachet, who was a rising swimwear designer from Arlington, Virginia, so a suburb of Virginia.、Uh, she was born to Peruvian parents, so she was Peruvian American, and her parents emigrated to the United States. So she was first generation American. Her father was a surgeon, apparently pretty well known in the area, and her mother was an artist, a painter. It actually had some very beautiful paintings. I、oh. I watched the Tor Roberts documentary on this, the the forty eight hours special, our hero, and、uh, the parents seemed like lovely people. You know, it、oh, was it's kind of one of those unfortunate things. Yeah, right. And it's like like obviously art runs in the family and creativity. Absolutely, she definitely got that from her mom. Yeah, absolutely. So Sylvie went to Marymount University and got a fashion degree from there, and then she moved to New York after she graduated. And within one week, she was already working a Tommy Hilfiger. <laughs> That's like also a dream brand for people to like work at, like Tommy Hilfiger.、Right? I mean, it, it's huge, and her parents also—you could tell—they were so proud of her. You know, they were always like, "She was a go-getter." You know, no one was surprised when she got a job that quickly. You know. She was、oh, yeah. always so disciplined and so successful in everything she tried.、Oh, it's kind of tragic, yeah. After she worked at Tommy Hilfiger, she also got a job at Marc Jacobs.、Uh, then worked at Victoria's Secret as their head swimsuit designer, <laughs> which is like <laughs> at the age、resume. of like twenty three, like truly incredible, twenty four. And she worked there until twenty oh six, and after that, she decided to go on her own and start her own line of swimsuits. Which was called Sila, incredible. Apparently, she was super good at her job. Obviously, spotting trends and getting magazine coverage for new swimsuit line. She got a spot at Miami Fashion Week. She was covered in InStyle, Vogue, Lucky L, Sports Illustrated. Shows her line to use in their swimsuit video. I mean, she was literally everywhere with her swimsuit line. And also for like your first company being like. Uh, in all of these magazines that people like ten years in, fifteen years in, even twenty years in, like would beg and like claw to get an、right. in style, especially back then, like all in these print spreads, it's insane. Yeah,、uh, that documentary I saw. They also interviewed her publicist, and she obviously was, you know, had super good things to say about Sylvie. And one of the things she said was that people weren't just attracted to the line itself, but also to her. Apparently, she was just such an incredible person to be around, and so inspirational, and so、um, so creative that people were enamored by her whole persona and her brand, which was incredible.、Uh, during this time, she also got engaged to her photographer, who was called Ben Baker, and her swim line was just doing super well until the 2008 crash, which was a bit of a tragic moment. Forced her to close down the swimsuit line. She didn't have the funding that she needed to keep the swimsuit line alive, and apparently this time was super, super hard for her. Of course, as you know, as you could probably predict, she had worked so hard on this line and was seeing so much success for it, only to just kind of disappear in the blink of an eye. And during this time, she also broke off her engagement to Ben and lost a bunch of weight, according to her trainer. It was like really, really tough for her. But eventually, she got another job designing for a brand called Ann Cole, which I actually hadn't heard of. I haven't either. But they invented the tank teeny, like the tank, oh shit, tank top bikini. Okay,、combo. I've heard of that. Now, all right. <laughs> yeah,、uh, Ann Cole, the designer, was made famous because of that, which is、wow. interesting. 
Uh, but while she was working there, she was still trying to get her swimsuit line back on its feet. And in the middle of this, she met Nicholas Brooks. Oh, yeah, so this is the other main character, unfortunately, of this episode. So Nicholas, at the time when he met Sylvie, was 24. Uh, she was almost 10 years older. And he was described as a college dropout who just could not keep a sh- job. Again, no shade if you want to drop out of college. It's not always for everybody. But some shade if you have a trust fund to do it with. I'm just, I, I, just Venmo me and I will shade you less. <laughs> but, you know, it's sort of that. Where it's like, have a, yeah. have a vi- know what you want to do or take some time to be like, oh, I don't know, don't just go to the Soho House Club and blow some money. Yeah, exactly. It's different if you drop off because yeah. you have, you know, you're developing a new app that's going to change the world. Yes. You know, it's 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 different to just kind of drop off and then just be a moocher. Forever. Be a mooch. A hundred percent. And this money that he was mooching on came from his father, who was an Oscar-winning composer, uh, really footed the bill for this lifestyle. He wrote a lot of jingles in the 60s, like Mad Men vibes, like Dr. Pepper Pepsi, Dial Soap, Maxwell House. Then he made he self made a movie about a musician who wrote jingles. So obviously he was very bashful and did not have any. Um, <laughs> wasn't self obsessed at all. He's like, ooh, this movie about myself would be great. He did uh, win an Oscar though for "Light Up My Life," which was the song for that movie. So it's good co- again, good composer. And the movie ended up making about forty million dollars. So, like that's yes, yeah, so good for yeah. him. You know, it's that type of person that you're like kind of hate follow on Instagram, but yes. then suddenly they're super successful and make millions of dollars doing their things. Like, okay. Okay. You know, power to you. You did it. And this is why you keep on that hate follow. You don't mute them because usually they end up being the piece of shit you expected them to be. True So that. crime, crime apparently is a genetic trait in this family because his dad, Joseph, was arrested in 2009 at the age of 71 for more than 100 counts of sexual misconduct including rape. So very, like a lot of evidence stacked against him. A lot of people came forward against him. So what he kind of would do, he would write ads on Craigslist for casting calls and invite women to his apartment where he had his Oscar and then ended up assaulting him. I mean, it's also hard because back then, like in 2009, Craigslist wasn't known as what it is known now as like, right. like people like still use it for- beware type of thing. Yeah, like it's back then that was where, and also for like, actresses and actors or people just that's the thing yeah it's people that really need a break it's despicable it it really is and like if you see it i mean of course even if you were like debating like i'm not gonna get this random guy's like apartment and xyz but okay an oscar winner like you would assume they're doing something legitimate but of course he was not he uh committed suicide before going to jail and did not include nicholas in his will so kind of, you know, left a little mic drop all around a star family going on here. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, wow. So it's it's also confusing because when you, obviously opposites attract, but what we hear about Sylvie, such like a very much like rock store worker, creative, had all this drive, all this passion. And then Nick, who we hear kind of just being like sort of a floater, where do they bond? So they did go on a date and Sylvie is a huge, huge animal lover and tragedy just really... Fuck it everywhere. Her toy poodle on their first date was run over by a car, which I... I literally have I mean, nightmares about happening to my dog. Uh, uh, especially right? in New York where, you know, car, there's cars everywhere, pedestrians everywhere, bikers everywhere. It happens. It, it's pretty it, common. It, yeah. it happens. And I, I cannot imagine being in that situation, especially on a first date. I, I just, <laughs> Oh, my God. And that's a hard thing where it's one of the things you're like, okay, I can never look at this person again because it's a trauma or like, okay, they helped me out for that. And it's like the cling to. You're like, right, okay. Right. So 
They all started with that. Nicholas stayed with her all night at the animal hospital and comforted her. And this started their relationship. Now, it was a pretty tumultuous relationship on and off for like six or so months. A lot of breakups and a lot of makeups, but it reached an unfortunate head in 2010. And so just so we all know, this was like almost a little bit right after when the dad was going to jail, everything like that, losing a lot of money. The day before her death, they had this confrontation. So Sylvie's brother was pretty suspicious of Nick after he started to tell him that a ton of money was withdrawn from her bank account. So Sylvie let her brother know, a lot of my money is just like disappearing. So, of course, we now know that this the money Nick used to have to fund his lifestyle, he was not in his dad's will, so that all dried up. And in particular, this reached a very, very uh, tippy-top head on December 8th when she wrote him this email. Lo- email. The subject line was just, quote-unquote, fuck you. And she said, Nick, for the past six months, I have supported you financially and emotionally. The fact that you cheated on me makes me sick, and you will fucking pay. I am speaking with the credit card company and the police, and I'm going to tell them that I never allowed you to use my card. I don't care. Have fun in jail. Sylvie. Wow. That is a strongly worded email right there. That is a mic drop. Yeah, that is a very intense, and we'll get into just why she was pretty pissed about what he was spending the money on down the line when more stuff gets revealed. It's not like he was getting, you know, all bon pom for two. (laughs) We'll just leave it at that for now. And despite all of this, I mean... You know, that curse of closure. You know, people always do that. So despite all this tension, he still went to Sylvie's West Village apartment that night. I don't know, either to assume to have a conversation or something along those lines. Yeah. However, that same night, they arrived at the Soho Hotel at about midnight 30 that night. So... They were seen on camera footage arriving together and he was holding a pillow and she was kind of a little bit out of it. So it was kind of a mysterious couple of people to just walk into the Soho Hotel in the middle of the night. Um, Mm -hmm. But then they started trying to check in and Sylvia explained to the clerk that her stoner boyfriend had Mm -hmm. accidentally set fire to her apartment when he left some candles on the head of the bed, the headboard of the bed while he was high on drugs. And she was sleeping during that too. So the candle like literally went, set the bed on fire with her. In- exactly. So we don't know if this was the actual case, but this is what Sylvie told the clerk, but more on this later. So apparently they just didn't want to stay in the apartment because of the smoky smell, which absolutely fair. I would also get out of that. Oh God. Yeah. And on top of that, Sylvie also told the clerk that she was on Xanax and was super tired. So she, apparently she used Xanax as a sleeping type of medication and she could barely stay awake. And you could tell also in the footage, she kinda, she's kind of stumbling a little bit. You know, you could tell she's not in like full use of her capacities or whatever. So after they talked to the clerk, they checked into room 20 and Kristen, who was the clerk, helped her with the whole process. And Kristen took Sylvie up to room 20 while Nick stayed at the front desk completing the paperwork. And the concierge of the night also said that he heard them arguing. So, you know, it wasn't all sort of the picture of the happy couple that just, you know, had a little thing happen at their apartment, right? It, It seemed like there was something else going on. Yeah. So Kristen helped Sylvie go to the room. And after helping Sylvie into bed... Kristen left the room and said that Sylvie was simply going to bed, you know, and Troy Roberts interviewed 
Kristen and had a bunch of really interesting things to say. Kristen apparently in the elevator had sort of a passing conversation with Sylvie. She was complaining about Nicholas and said, like, he's 10 years younger than me. He's a child. I should just break up with him. She was kind of so done with Nicholas. And um, also they interviewed friends of Sylvie and they all said they didn't really understand why Sylvie stayed with Nicholas for so long because it was clear from the relationship that she didn't really have anything to gain from the relationship, you know? Yeah, exactly. And he was, and like not treating her correctly at all or anything like that. Not Right, right. So on with the night at 12.45, so a little bit after they checked in, a busboy brought some ice to room 20, and Nick met the busboy in the hallway, and they entered the room together. The busboy testified that he was barely in there, uh, but he did say that he saw nobody else in the room, so in this room there was only the two of them. It wasn't some case of sort of a stranger hiding behind the curtains or whatever. Mm -hmm. And sometime after, Kristen said that she went back to check on them, you know, because she wasn't getting good vibes. Which is very, like, a good sign of her to do. Absolutely. That. Like, very, that's, yeah. that's, that's a top-notch um, clerk right there. So as she was going close to the room, she heard some arguing. But as she turned the corner, she said she just heard complete silence. So, like, not a pin drop. There was no, nothing. So, she even went into the room next door and she tried to sort of, like, put, you know, put her ear to the wall to try to get anything. And she said she heard absolutely nothing. So, she just kind of decided to go back downstairs. um, And it's kind of crushing to see this interview because she she tells Troy, you know, I wonder what would have happened if I had knocked, you know. And, and it's a hard thing because it's like you can't, you can you can wonder that so much, but then also Nick was such a guy. I feel like he would have just like been like, no, we're fine. You know yeah, what I mean? Exactly. Like, so not that, yeah. And it's obviously not her responsibility to oh, be God. there and and to try to stop whatever happened. But she, you could tell this was an incredible traumatic uh, event even for her. You know, to be in that elevator oh, with God. Sylvie and to hear sort of this commotion happen. Well, because that's what I was thinking too. It's like you don't like. There's certain job like. A doctor you're used to see, you're expecting to have like traumatic moments happen at work and stuff like that. But like when you work in a hotel, you're not expecting right. the fucking worst of the world, like nightmarish realities to happen. Right. You're working at the Soho house. And we, uh, yeah, yeah, it's like, I'm sure this is a, a dream job for many people that work in the hospitality Truly. industry, you know, to work at such a trendy spot. But yeah, so a little bit after this happened, we see Nick in security cameras sort of entering and leaving the room many times at about 12:50 this all started so not that much time had happened but he started sort of pacing back and forth through the hallways biting his nails sort of very nervous behavior um then he went downstairs to the hotel restaurant got some food and uh left shortly after his server said that he barely touched the food so he wasn't really acting like someone would normally, you know, there was not something innocent. off. Yeah. Not acting innocent. Right? <laughs> not at all. <laughs> at 2.18 a.m., he left the room for the last time and he went downstairs and just struck up conversation with a jazz musician who was called David Raleigh. So it's just some random stranger he started talking to. 
And then they decided to go out for drinks uh, at 2.18 a.m., which, sure. hey. <laughs> okay. City know. that never sleeps. Yeah. <laughs> maybe last call should be at two. You know, maybe. Like, honestly. Maybe. Yeah. yeah. And the thing is, at 2.11 a.m., so this was seven minutes before he left the room for the last time, occupants in the room below room 20 started reporting a water leak. So they started seeing some water come in and people kept complaining about the leak for the next few minutes. So eventually Soho house staffers went to find out what was happening and they realized that room 20 was directly above where the leak was happening. So they sent someone to knock on the door of the hotel room. No one answered. So they kind of kept trying and eventually they actually forced entry into the room at 2.51 a.m. that night. And when they entered, um, they discovered Sylvie's body, who was submerged in an overflowing bathtub. Um, She was wearing underwear and a turtleneck and her watch, and the water was on full blast. And uh, they called 911, and they obviously attempted everything they could to resuscitate her, but she was pronounced dead in the scene at 3.33 a.m. And... Police also found an empty pill bottle in the room, which is sort of a little bit of a question mark. But when police got there and started examining the scene, they saw some wounds on her neck that were consistent with strangulation, hemorrhaging in the eyes, and a bite mark on her hand. And at this point, they kind of started assuming that this had been a murder. They started treating this like a crime scene and started doing their investigation. And it's an interesting thing because, like, with the pills to note, I feel, and we'll get into Nick more, I feel he tried to set it up almost like it looking in a certain way. But then when you have the evidence of, like, a strangulation and you, like, the DNA and the forcing of everything, it really just paints the picture in one exact way. Another thing that the investigators found was a cut in the inside of the lip, which they said was very common when someone's, you know, mouth is being covered to not make noise because you kind of cut it against your own teeth. Yeah. So Nick, of course, he was out with his jazz performer. He came back to Soho House at around 5.30 in the morning. So he was out essentially for three hours right now. When the night manager saw him come in, he pointed him out to the police officers as the person who checked in with Sylvie the night before. The officer went up to him, and this is so insane, went up to him, told him what happened in the room, told him what happened with Sylvie, and Nicholas had seemingly no reaction at all. So very much not the uh, reaction you would have from someone who was just told that their girlfriend was dead in the hotel room, if it was going to be your first time hearing about any of this. Not at all. I mean, I I could imagine that sort of situation happening and. I, the first thing I would do would just be ask questions, you know, trying to find out what yeah. happened. You know, there would never be sort of like, oh, okay, you know. Because that's the thing. Yeah, it wasn't like a shutdown shock, like him unable to process it. It was him just right. being like, okay, yeah, yeah, like very, very bizarre. So with that, and also just with the facts that was presented, he was immediately taken into questioning and was arrested. At the police station, he was, because of course he was out for hours, he was super drunk and the police couldn't even really hold a conversation with him. So they sort of just had him pass out. And when he woke up, uh, they wrote a, he wrote a statement about what had happened that night, according to him. So this is what the night 
was according to Nick. He went over to Sylvie's apartment in the village that evening, watched a movie, lit candles, had sex. And after that, he went to take a shower. And when he came out, the bed was caught on fire because of the candles. He said that Sylvie was still asleep because she took some sleep medication. So he woke her up and quote unquote rescued her. (laughs) Then they decided to leave the apartment and go to the Soho house to sleep. And once in the room, Sylvie said she wanted to take a bath and Nicholas went to the restaurant to get some food. Then he came back to the room and woke Sylvie up to tell her that he was going to go out for a while. Then he just came back in from drinks and this happened. So uh, I guess that the he did not realize that the camera had him pacing around for like 20 minutes, biting his nails at the time of the death and going back and forth, going all around. So not this casual. I'm going to go out for a drink because also you wouldn't be doing that going back inside 900 times. Right. There's there's some gaps in this story just to begin with, you know. <laughs> a lot of gaps. And the whole thing isn't that crazy, right? The the timeline of them getting no. there, like, I mean, yeah. that all makes sense. But the thing I think that is kind of the smoking gun here is Sylvie being full of sleeping medications, getting to the room and saying, I want to take a bath. I want to take a bath. Yeah. And then also it's like she, I mean, even if she doesn't work in fashion, I mean, she's a person. Why would she wouldn't take a bath with like some of her clothes on and right. her watch on and all but of not this her stuff pants. like that? Yeah, bizarre. It just really did not add up. Yeah. So during this whole thing, at one point, he asked the police officers, "quote unquote," how much can I get for this? Which like really feels like he's just like, <laughs> "fuck it." Like if that's the first thing you're thinking of, and not like, "no, I'm just so innocent. Like right. I need to prove this," and also I need to know like. Who did this to my girlfriend? All this stuff. You sounded pretty guilty right there. Yeah, if that's not a confession, I mean, I yeah. don't know what could be. You know, how much can I get for this? Is your reaction yeah. to your girlfriend being found dead in your hotel room? While and you, you were be out accused drinking? of it. Yeah, like that's the that just sounds like, and also the casualness of him saying it. It's so right, insane. Right. And he, of course, will let you know he did find out how much he will get for this because his DNA was almost immediately found on the faucet. Of the bathtub. So even with his story, it's not like they took a bath together in his story. So why would his DNA be on the bathtub for any other reason? During the trial, his attorney and family's defense was that all was just a media sensationalizing this because of Nick's father and the crimes that he committed. Ugh! It also... Like, like you're both just pieces of fucking shit. That's what the media... (laughs) That's what the media is saying here. Yeah. And circle back to the email that we talked about before when Sylvie found out about the money and her saying that, like, I did not authorize this on the credit cards. Who knew if she helped him out maybe with coffee covering food and stuff like that. But what she found out, because Sylvie's friends told uh, investigators and also told Sylvie because she found it out, Nick was hiring prostitutes while dating her and using her credit card to pay for the prostitutes. I mean, that, that I just can't even begin to think about how fucked God. up that is. You have someone who's caring for you, who's trying to... They also found during this trial that she had made kind of like a to-do list for him. Oh, um, It God. really kind of... It, it was this bizarre relationship. She was almost treating him like a child. Like yeah. the first item on this list was like, wake up before 10 a.m. and get out of oh, bed. Oh, God. And number two, try to find a job and be productive while you're doing this and not waste time. You know, it was like, stop drinking. Stop. It, it was really, they had this sort of, I mean, you know, that works for some people, but it, it really seems like he was just completely taking advantage of her. 
while she was really trying to just make him、How、a better person、yeah. and and encourage him to find a job and be more productive. But the fact that he was taking advantage of her to spend her own spend money, money on, on prostitutes, yeah. yeah, like, I mean, like it is if you're a single. And it's your own money. Go right ahead, do your thing. Yeah, but your、Knock、girlfriend's yeah, money doing that. You know. And it's really just goes to show if you're in a relationship right now because you think you can fix him, you can't break up with him right now. It is not. <laughs> do not like, it's you're your, not your PSA. Break up. This is your PSA. So with that, there were over thirty thousand dollars of these charges on her card, which is also like how they've only been dating for six months. I don't know how frequently he that's true. Was doing this or how much it cost? It was yeah, such a 30, short 000. amount of time. Thirty thousand dollars. And it's also the thing too, where it's not like he came from so much money, but Sylvie, she really worked for a lot of her money. And we talked、Absolutely. about she was in a thing now where like she was investing a lot to rebuild her brand or relaunch a new brand, and kind of came from some like financial hardships after the recession. So she really, it's not like the thirty thousand was just nothing to her. Like in this, like that was a lot of chunk of money from her. Right. It's so, oh god, it's so heartbreaking too. Like him taking money from her, her just trying to help him while trying. Like she was doing nine things at once. I know, Ugh, Ugh. so tragic. Yeah, so this realization, like we said, shortly happened right before her death, and also when she sent that email. So on July eleventh, twenty thirteen, this trial went on somehow for like three years. He was found guilty of second degree murder and given the maximum sentence, twenty five to life. The judge, which is the judge, her name was her first name was Bonnie. I remember that.、Uh, she <laughs> said, "I could have given him fifteen to life, but she chose to select the higher punishment." Saying that the murder was "quote unquote" a singularly horrific and tragic event, which yes, he lost his final appeal in March 2018, and he won't be eligible for parole until 2038. So he locked up for a while, and hopefully for decades to come. Wow. Well, Ugh, just desserts, you know. Truly. At least、oh, in this、God. one, justice was served, and it seems like it was the correct decision. Yeah, there was there was some things that you know during the trial, the defense tried to you know blame Sylvie for you know basically just saying that she was not in full use of her faculties and just passed out in the bathtub and drowned. They tried to say that the bruises on her body were because of some rough sex, which was, I, I mean, the type of bruises and. The extent of them did not seem <laughs> like something、no. that would happen in recreation. I mean, you know, it, it. I guess it's possible, but considering everything else and the situations on that night and the way that Nick reacted and behaved and the camera footage, it's just very hard to say that he isn't guilty, based on all、oh, the hard evidence that there is. A shadow of a doubt. I know it's a hard thing too. They really went in on Sylvie trying to paint her out to be like this undrugged person who just was like drugged herself, had too much time, and then boom,、right. boom, like this like floozy social light type person was like, no, that's fucking Nick. And she was a hardworking woman who tried her, gave up, lost her life trying to help this guy get a better life for himself. And it's just it's so heartbreaking. Right. The other thing that they said was like the fact that they saw each other after she sent that email about you know fuck you you're gonna pay for what、mm -hmm. she, what you did, kind of painted her as being someone who wasn't you know very trustworthy to begin with, and it's just like、mm. that's so fucked too. You know, it was just、yeah. it's these things happen in relationships. <laughs> It, yeah, exactly. I'm like that's a nicer fuck you email to send to someone than anything else, and also it's like yeah, she could have told the police she didn't want to give thirty thousand dollars. 
for him to cheat on her. <laughs> like that's what is, <laughs> right. what is so psycho about that. Yeah. Right. Ay, but ay, yeah, ay. I think closed case. This this was um, Nicholas murdered Sylvie, and now he's in jail. You and know? Now he's in jail. And uh, now we are still looking to see if anyone wants to take us to Soho House. Probably not invited <laughs> after this. But that is okay. I, maybe I don't want to go now. I don't want to go now. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I don't even want to go anymore. <laughs> I, I reverse psychologying it. I'm like, you know, I don't even care. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. Really, yeah. I didn't get to see the pool when I was there. But you know what? I don't even want a pool. Pools are stupid. No. Oh, God, I hate pools. Yeah, especially <laughs> when there's nothing else to do. Yeah. <laughs> with global warming happening, I don't want a pool at all. So, yeah, so happy to cover this case with you. I Oh, thank you for kicking off 2022 with me. I know Sarah's going to come back and make us feel very jealous about her her travels. Sarah will be back next week. We'll have a new fresh game next week as well. So we'll get back on that competition train. Maybe yeah, I'll start oh, I'm so tallying <gasps> the wins to see at yes. the end of the year who's going to get that. the ultimate NATCP prize. I like that. I like that. We also should find a way to make it like a quiz that like we could like... I don't know how to set up technology, but like you're like the quiz quiz king that we have like let people if they want to play play with us one night or something like that. Ooh, That'd that's a good idea. That's right? a good idea. I'm gonna I'm gonna think about that. We're also we're we're secretly working on maybe a true crime live show. Don't, don't, don't tell anyone, but uh, I think it might. Don't be tell happening. Omicron. Don't tell Omicron. <laughs> don't tell Omicron. <laughs> <laughs> oh God, that would make me so happy. You know what? I'm telling myself January is just gonna be crazy. Then everything's all fine. And if you're saying, did you tell yourself that in March 2020? Yes, I did. So you know, <laughs> I haven't learned, but I still need something to live for. So Some our live show just and our can't be learned. Game. You know, not. Not at all. But until then, please keep on joining our Facebook group, Not Another True Crime Group. I love when the people say, we're joining it, so you shut up. And we're never going to shut up about it, but it just <laughs> makes me happy to see that. <laughs> and you can follow uh, the podcast, Not Another True Crime podcast on Instagram. You can follow me at Cashmere Danny, Cashmere with a K. Jorge, are you going to plug your Instagram or are you still going to be private? You'll never find He's private. me. Ooh. <laughs> Well, now you know everybody's going to try so hard to find you. <laughs> yeah, I guess uh, saying that to a bunch of true crime aficionados is yeah. uh, a bit of a challenge, isn't we it? We got some body movements in this bitch. They're going to find you. <laughs> <laughs> so have fun stalking Jorge's entire life. And until next week, bye. <laughs> Not Another True Crime Podcast is produced by Jorge Morales-Pico and Sean Kilby. Our hosts are Sarah Levine and Danny Murphy. Editing by Jorge Morales-Pico. Social media by Sarah Levine. Be sure to follow at NATC Pod on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And send us your emails to natc at betches.com. Betches.